thinking about Beacon Jams at Sublime. I was just saying, you know, Trey, at some point I really want to do Harry Hood for the orchestra show. He just said to himself almost immediately, he said, wow, I can do that on guitar and we can do that with strings. I had listened to it and knew it was a bunch of work. I said, well, and at that point we thought there were some some weeks where the strings wouldn't be playing. There were at least two weeks that we thought they wouldn't be playing. And I thought, well, you know, one of those weeks we're not playing. Give me a couple of weeks to write this arrangement. You know, it's, it's long and stuff, you know. Well, whatever week that was, he said, do you think you can get Harry Hood done for this coming Friday? <laughs> so I had, I had one week and that was a real challenge. Hey there, and welcome to Creative License, where we dive into what makes creative people successful and immerse ourselves in that process. I'm your host, Alex Perlman. If you're a fan of the band Fish, you probably know Don Hart, or at least have heard the fruits of his labor. As lead guitarist Trey Anastasio's musical composer and arranger, Don takes your favorite song and transforms it into something magical crafting parts for an orchestra that lift a familiar tune to unprecedented levels, creating a fullness and a sonic richness that's sometimes hard to imagine just listening to it from a live show or album. Don has been working with Trey since his 2004 Bonnaroo show with the Nashville Chamber Orchestra, which Trey actually conducted part of, and they've been a fearsome team ever since. Combining to produce the 30-minute symphonic work Time Turns Elastic in 2008 and culminating in The Beacon Jams, a pandemic-inspired eight-show livestream residency at an empty Beacon Theater in New York City. Trey didn't repeat a song the entire run, and his repertoire ranged from fish compositions with his band to incorporating a string quartet, at times pushing Don to turn around those parts in less than a week. In our conversation, Don explains why he fell in love with music, what it's like to work with Trey, and his favorite memories from a wild few months in the fall of 2020. So Don, let's start towards the beginning. When did you get interested in music and uh, and and just start playing instruments in general? Both my folks were musical. My dad um, sang in uh, choirs and at church, and uh, loved classical music and the opera. And so he he just had uh, music on ever since I remember. You know, around the house. I, I grew up in the fifties, so you're probably too young to remember some of the. Um, arts programming, programming that was uh, just standard fare on TV and everything back in those days. But I had orchestra. I, mean, I remember uh, the Boston Symphony being on every Sunday night, you know, on like CBS, I think it was, or something like that. It was just unthinkable these days, you know. But um, certain things I remember catching my ear. I, I, I played, I studied some piano, played trombone uh, starting around the I guess fifth grade or so. And well, I really... play trombone too. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Starting we're... in uh, fourth grade, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was fun, and I, you know, I I did okay. I mean, there, I got to Nashville, and like I saw a lot of really great trombone players that didn't have as much work as they wanted, and they were all better than me. So, you know, I, I, I thought, well, I, I should probably. Do, do, do the other thing that I enjoy, which was a, a lot of arranging at that point. But I was informed by 
radio a lot. There, there's so many choices these days, you know, of where to find music and everything. And it's just endless. And you, you don't even know where to begin a lot of times, it seems like. So how many instruments did you play growing up? Was it was it? I mean, you mentioned trombone and piano, but were you uh, were you a guitarist? Did you I mean, you do so much in terms of strings arrangements now. Did you play a string instrument? I never did. Uh, you know, it's funny. You know, I've had <clears throat> had a number of players say to me that I write really great string parts and I, I, I never played an instrument. And I, th- I think I, I'm still not exactly sure what that has to do with. I think it might be something to do with voice leading or, or, or just the, the, the fact that I'm, it's kind of a stumper to me because <laughs> um, and I've tried to learn as much about them as, as I can since then, because you can take take advantage of an instrument the more you know about it, you know, a, a lot more. So always trying to learn a little bit more if I can. But there's there are differences, right, between writing and, and playing music, let's say, for, you know, for guitar or piano, something like that, as opposed to scoring and arranging for for an orchestra or a group of musicians. Right. What made you want to do something like that and and take it to an even broader scope? A lot of it was opportunity. I mean, you know, uh, the outfit that I was working with that actually first lined me up working with Trey was the National Chamber Orchestra here in town. And and their mantra uh, was uh, music without boundaries. So they're always they were always trying to figure out some way to connect two things, two or more things that didn't seem like they go together. I'd say. Also in that in that realm, the jingle work that I did over the years, you know, that could be any style at any given time. Coming back to the uh, the idea of of how you know why I write well for strings or or any other instrument, I do follow my ear on that. I you know I, I listen I, I listen to things. I try to figure out what's idiomatic for an instrument, and 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 go that route as opposed to writing some crazy nonsense (laughs) (laughs) that kind of brings me to my next question too do you see each instrument group is having a a different role within a piece or or can those change throughout depending on the type of music that you're working with well okay there's there's some generalities i guess uh but you, you know first off i don't want to be predictable basically you know i don't want to just have anything start being formulaic but but on the other hand, strings are so versatile. Uh, Trey Anastasio and I had the discussion kind of earlier on and when we were doing some of the orchestra things, you know, we, I had tried to, to use the percussion section as sort of a, 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 a rhythmic aspect to, to the orchestra. And there are two problems with that, basically, or well, probably more than that. But one is the strings, you know, are, are just... The, the basis of the orchestra. If you think about it from just uh, on stage, I mean, they, they occupy so much more space than anything else. And, and you know, when you get in, in a live situation with an orchestra, the distance between, you know, the left side and the, and the right side is, is pretty significant at times sonically. You know, there's delay and all that sort of stuff. So having people play together you know intricate rhythms and complex things it's pretty hard to do if, if the strings aren't involved so trey and i basically uh, he, he said to me at one point he, you know i think this the strings are the engine of the orchestra and you know and it was just like sort of eye-opening to me you know instead of trying to write some conga part that is is cool and groovy and everything that nobody that you know the other side of the orchestra can't hear you give stuff to the strings and, and another advantage in working 
with Trey is he's such a great guitarist that covers a lot of sins. Uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, just it just it, it's it's a great glue for the orchestra to have him playing. You know, his rhythmic grooves and that sort of thing. It's it's actually actually more of a challenge when you know he's soloing over you know some a section because he's not playing as much of the groove at that point. Tell me about, you mentioned it just a little bit, but when you first met Trey Anastasio back in, in 2004, I know that he was you know doing some work in Nashville. It was for the, the, his band show at Bonnaroo, right? That was when you guys first hooked up? That's correct, yeah. It, it was funny. I, got a, I think I was out in California with my son visiting a college or something like that and uh, uh, got a call on the, on the phone in the car and it was uh, somebody in trade in, in the office and mentioned it to Patrick and, and his friend. They wanted me to work for Trey Anastasio and they, they couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, first of all, it's it's dad, you know, so <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just like kind of out of the blue for him and everything. But and it was a little bit out of the blue for me. I mean, and, and quite honestly, I didn't know much more. I didn't know virtually anything about Trey or, or the band. And I, I, I think I'd, I'd seen the name around because of the unusual, notice it because of the unusual spelling. But, uh, but you know, it's been a learning process ever since. <laughs> and so you did that. And, and what was it like to work with him for, for the first time or just meeting him? I know you guys have uh, a relationship that has grown by leaps and bounds since then and done so much collaboration together. But what was that first meeting like? He's always just been one of the most gracious people I've ever known and we, we we talked a little bit on the phone before we got together so and and i was sending him you know computer mock-ups of the work that i was doing and he seemed to like everything and you know we we had conversations about it and of course you also have to remember this particular uh show he was he was pretty focused on being on conducting the orchestra I don't know if you recall hearing that or not, but no, I've watched it on YouTube. Actually, you should. Everybody should go watch it. I saw um, Pebbles and Marbles with the the Nashville Chamber Orchestra. Right, it was really cool. But you know, I think once he got in that position, you know, eventually he told me he never wants to do it again. So, <laughs> well, the difference between conducting and and playing with the orchestra has to be. It has to be crazy, right? Because if you're if you're playing along with them, you know, you, you actually are the engine steering the ship. Whereas if you're conducting them, you're just kind of you're, you're bringing them along. Right, right. And orchestras are funny. Sometimes they'll give you enough enough rope to hang yourself if you're the conductor. You know, <laughs> if you tell them what you're doing, I mean, they can save you. But I mean, they're basically a big ensemble that does a lot of a lot of that work, you know, conducting, if you will, or just the on. Un- the ensemble nature of playing on their own. I mean, the concertmaster is incredibly uh, important on those lines. But these are these are incredible musicians in their in their own individual right. So how much how much are they really contributing to it? Because there's they're bringing so much information and and knowledge and and experience with them once once they sit down and pick up their instrument, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think between the I mean, the relationship between the orchestra and the conductor is probably uh, he, he says what he wants to happen and then they figure out the best way to, to pull it off together. Let's uh, take a turn a little bit and, and dive into your process. So you're working with with Trey, you receive a, a fish song or you hear it for the first time and you know that he wants to arrange it for strings or an orchestra. You listen to it and then start your work. 
take me through how, how exactly does that work and, and produce this incredible piece of music? Well, first I'll say it's a little, little different for, for Trey stuff and for Fish because, you know, there's not like, you know, one version of the song that I'm, I'm working with, you know. <laughs> Sometimes he'll give me a favorite version. Sometimes also in some of the orchestra things, I, I just ask for uh, him playing a, a very basic version with, with him and, uh, on guitar. I'll, I'll get, you know, sometimes uh, several versions from him on, for, uh, on things, you know, to sort of gather up what the orchestra version is going to be. For example, on uh, You Enjoy Myself, uh, I think there were three different versions. You want to get the uh, correct version of, of some of the, the gestures and everything as well. You know, sometimes, you know, there, there'll be a one, ver maybe a version where something is not played accurately you know so you, in that particular song you know the front was pretty pretty reliable you know as far as form was concerned there were a couple couple spots where i think you know sometimes jams f happen in different areas you know uh, of, of a song you know i think you you know, myself is one that happened so i'm just trying to sort this out and then take it to the orchestra uh, orchestra hall how is this going to you know, work best for the audience in that in that in that space. That's something that I always consider in orchestrating arranging is figure out a plan. Whether it's you know you make something appropriate for the right reason or you make something inappropriate for the right reason. You know, I mean, there's a lot of choices along the way. But that that said, then taking these fish songs and and. Um, I mean, trying to figure out logistics as far as like, uh, again, how the rhythmic impetus works, you know, make, make sure everything is moving forward along, you know, whether Trey's doing that, whether the orchestra's doing that. There are a lot of great gestures and lines and things in, in the music that I can grab on f to for the orchestra. I've been in some situations where there's just, I have to kind of come up with those things myself. I'm trying to think of an example. Um, well, like, you know, it's just a string arrangement, but divided sky. I mean, there's all those famous lines, you know, <laughs> and, I mean, they're wonderful, you know, and just you have to figure out where to assign them in the in the orchestra. Is the that section. something that is that something you hear, you know, because obviously when, when you hear divided sky played by fish, it's a it's a four piece band and, and that's including drums for, you know, one of them. But obviously keyboards, guitar, bass, all of those those have to be included, all of those lines. Do you know innately when you hear it, hey, this is something the viola should play, this is something the cello needs to play, or is it kind of a, a start and stop process and, and you're kind of trying different things out? If I can get a a, a foothold on, on something, if I if I know one element in the orchestra that has to do this line then i can sort of work you know f out from that or whichever way uh you know up down and, and and kind of fill out the rest of the the roles in the orchestra um i guess i for lack of a better term scroll through you know those possibilities in my mind you know what is the instrument or or section that's going to make this line just really great and uh, if i'm convinced of that then i can start piecing the other things together around it Trey's either melody or, um, or or vocal line, you know, that that's sort of a given. And usually the the bass line is pretty close. Then I try to have something that that counters, you know, works well with the bass line above. If you get those those outside lines working well together, then then you can fill the middle then fairly easily. 
that that's really interesting and and so you get the opportunity to to do this and you, and you put the arrangement together are you you going to trade does he have final approval or does he kind of at this point maybe just trust what you're doing and and go right into rehearsal when when you show him that arrangement that is one of the joys of my life is sending a mock-up to Trey. <laughs> There's w- one thing I can think of right now where he questions something because I just sort of went out on a, on a limb, which is something that I, I feel like is sort of, to a degree, necessary to do. I mean, you, you, you don't get anywhere if you don't try some new things. But other than that, he is just... Uh, so appreciative and we, we discuss things realistically you know everything but but he likes what I send him which is always fun you know but at that point then we just run with it and get the parts ready and, and it's oh, another thing I was going to say uh, is Trey really understands when I send a computerized mock-up of something to him you know on an orchestration some folks don't get that very well you know if it doesn't translate to a a realistic orchestra sound. They can't pull things along in their mind to where it, where it's going to be. Trey is just totally easy to work with that way. He gets it immediately. And you know, things I've been worried about are explained to him. He says, "Ah, oh, no, no problem." <laughs> it, it must help someone with with such a, a vast musical knowledge, right? To to work with someone that has a background in all different types of music. I mean, you listen to what he does with with Trey Anastasio band, with even Ghost of the Forest. You know, coming out with Fish, of course, his solo work. It's right. just it it's so much more, I think, than than most touring musicians have the the ability to work so versatilely. Yeah, and he he works at that so hard. I mean, he listens all. The, I mean, I, I I get immersed in something, and I have to I have to take a break, and, and you know, it's hard for me to listen to other stuff in certain stretches. But he he just seems to be constantly listening and and absorbing new things, and and I mean, everybody probably realizes, it, but he never wants to just do something because it's worked before. I mean, he's always trying to put some sort of slant and do something new and exciting and figure out a, a, a new way to do things. Don, can you, can you remember um, an example of an arrangement that you put together with Trey that was maybe particularly challenging? Yeah, it was, it was a little bit self-inflicted, actually. <laughs> After we did um, Carnegie Hall with New York Phil, everybody's really pumped about it. And, uh, and I'm not sure if anything was on, on the bill yet, but I don't think anything was planned yet for us to do more orchestra things, but you know, I knew there were things going to come up and everything. So I just started listening to a bunch of stuff, and I think I have Spotify, and uh, I just pulled up Fish and just started to listen to whatever it, it played for me. And What's the Use came up, and I just listened to that and thought, gosh, that would really be cool with an orchestra. So that was like 2009. A while after that, I... I f- I've, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I was learning repertoire. I still am. <laughs> you know, it's a big job. <laughs> I, I think everybody is, trust me. People that have been to like 150 shows are um, still learning new songs. I think at one point then I forgot what the song was. And then it's, it's somehow or another rediscovered it and, and then re- I think wrote the name down and mentioned it to Trey. And he thought, wow, that's, that's cool. Yeah, why don't we do that? So for... Um, Two shows we did in Nashville and Atlanta in 2017. Uh, I, I scored that. What's the use? Was just it was just a really hard. Why is that so, so a, difficult? Because it's all instrumental. Yeah, it's all instrumental. It, 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 it was the the slow slowness of the tempo. Trying to have an orchestra do 
some of those things and any of these arrangements, you, you, you want to have the orchestra do things that aren't going to be my one of my earlier teachers just said, you, you can't make it sound corny, you know, so you don't want to have something be a character of the piece, you know, so you want to figure out something that's going to have some weight to it, you know, the way the orchestra plays it. I don't know. It, it, it just took forever. <laughs> and, and I love the way it turned out, you know, so I think it was it was well, well worth the the effort. But that was basically the orchestra version was what we made the um, Beacon Jams version from. We had um, Jeff Tansky filling out some things on, on piano and then sort of reduced the strings to figure that out. One that was a lot of work but wasn't necessarily difficult was Stash. Now, there was a section in Stash that was hard, uh, and that's the little um, composed section that is sort of lacking tonality, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> it's fun, but you know, trying to figure out how to get that in the orchestra and uh, all those different entrances and everything, that, that was, that was um, yeah, there, I, I was trying to figure that one out for a little while. I'm sure it's, uh, I mean, it, it's incredibly intricate. And, and yeah, some of them are not the most melodic uh, in terms of some of the sections for, for those composed songs. So I get it with the the odd time signatures and it, it does. It sounds like a little bit of a, something you need to wrap your mind around in order to, to get it to translate. Uh, I want to jump into Beacon Jams, though, which if... You're listening and you don't know what that is. It was, it was an eight-week live stream residency during the height of COVID at the Beacon Theater that, that Trey put together, uh, benefiting the Divided Sky Fund. It's incredible. I mean, the, the way that he's able to do this didn't repeat a song. Uh, how soon before, though? I mean, this is, again, this is, this is during the pandemic. And he's trying to put all of this together. There's so many different logistics. People had to come in and, and at the point, quarantine for two weeks uh, right next to the theater before even starting this. How soon before did you know that this was happening? And how did you have to prepare for all of this? Did he know what songs he was going to play right off the bat? Or was this an ever-evolving process? We knew some things, uh, and then some of it evolved. He got in touch with me maybe a month, month and a half before before it started, we were talking about, you know, at first he wanted a little, little, a little larger instrumental group. And he was just, to, you know, constantly dealing with the logistics aspect of it, like you mentioned. You know, I, I didn't hear a, a lot of those details, but he told me a few things. But, you know, what he wanted to do and what he could do were quite often two different things. I forget the exact timing on this, but at one point he said, well, you know, we, we can't have the strings. You know, it just didn't work out. So the first week went down, and they they got through all the all the rigmarole of getting people tested and and, and there and, and and got that first one done. And I guess he figured out a way we we can have a quartet now. We got that first week under our belt, and and it worked, and everybody basically stayed healthy. And, and we talked that following Saturday morning about what what was the next week, you know. <laughs> So, you know, it was a combination of, again, things that we had primarily arranged, you know, whether the, maybe they just had to be adapted. And then what, what, were, what were some big songs, uh, a couple things that we could do new each week. And at some point early on, I said, you know, we were, we were just talking that day and I, and I wasn't even thinking about Beacon Jams. At some point. I was just saying, you know, Trey, at some point, I really want to do Harry Hood for the orchestra show. He just said to himself, almost immediately he said wow i can do that on guitar and we can do that with strings i had listened to it and knew it was a bunch of work i said well and at that point we thought there were some 
some weeks where the strings wouldn't be playing. There were at least two weeks that we thought they wouldn't be playing. And I thought, well, you know, one of those weeks we're not playing. Give me a couple weeks to write this arrangement. You know, it's, it's long and stuff, you know. Well, whatever week that was, he said, do you think you can get Harry Hood done for this coming Friday? <laughs> so I had, I had one week, and that was a real challenge. But it was really fun. It's, and that was the week the horns finally showed up. And we, what, what his plan was, was for the strings to start out with him on guitar, and then for the band to show up at the end of the song, and the horns to make their first appearance at the end of the song, which I still think would have been cool, but they just, they did that a different way. And that, that, that was, that was one of my favorite arrangements from that stretch. It was so cool to hear too, because it's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful song and such a, one of my favorite jam buildups at the end of that. And to hear it with strings, it just gave it such a, like a soaring feeling. So many of his songs just take you on these little road trips, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's just, it's hard, uh, hard to put a lot of these things into words, I guess, but I agree. It's like a, it's a, it's a feeling, yeah. you know, it's like, it, it's, it's really hard to express how you feel when you listen to this type of stuff. But it is a little, like little journeys though, you know, I mean, you know, and then then they throw some little side trips on, in on the journey with, with the jams or wh- however some little different treatment of the song or something like that. It's it, it's um, I t- so much more understand the the f- fan and band fan tray r- relationship these days than I did it at the get go. I mean, it was like throw me throw me in, threw me in the deep end at first. You know, it was <laughs> does that help you in your arrangements now, knowing that intimate relationship? I think so. I mean, my whole process on on things is to try to figure out, you know, who who this is for and how it's going to work, basically, you know. Night five was the Ghost of the Forest show, and that had eight songs that featured uh, the Rescue Squad string quartet. Did you have to arrange all of those on short notice or did you get some lead time on those? Because I hope you got some lead time. That that is not an easy task. There wasn't much lead time. (laughs) Wow. And tell me just in this process, how much time you're actually getting to, to do this from when Trey says, hey, this is what we need and putting it out on stage. I jumped right in. That's after that Saturday morning conversation. I'm sure that's when it was. They they were trying to have, I think, separate band and string rehearsals, like by about Tuesday, I believe. So there were some. If I could get some things to them by then, then they, then they would just keep on adding things through the week. I'm sure there were several weeks there toward the end end of the run because I was sending things up to them. I mean, the afternoon of the dress rehearsal, you know, before the show. <laughs> Are you putting together? Like the bones of the arrangement and then adding, you know, some extra flourishes at the end? Or what, what are you trying to get them by Tuesday? Okay, so I, I will say, uh, again, Jeff Tansky was extremely helpful uh, throughout this show. You know, not just the, in the piano stuff that he did, but he, he set up a lot of the computer files that I needed. So, like, he would do a takedown of basically the chord chart and maybe even some of the lines in the band arrangement and the, and the vocals. And uh, so I had I had that all set up for me. So that, that was a big part of me being able to pull pull that much off. I was just basically basically trying to figure out where just where the strings were playing along with things. It was later on that I was getting like uh, some other things. I was getting background vocals from Carmel Dean and, uh, you know, tr- trying to work 
<laughs> she was she was doing those charts and I was doing string charts and we we're trying to make sure they they work together. <laughs> and you're doing all this collaboration remotely, right? You guys aren't aren't together yeah. for this. Oh yeah. I never got up to New York for any of that. I would ever really would have loved to have been there, but it, it was all I could do to get things done here, just staying put. You know? Yeah, so. you couldn't have any time for, for travel or anything else like that. When you were watching it, though, and, and you see Trey performing the, these arrangements with the Rescue Squad strings or with Jeff Tansky and, and even during his solo tours and that sort of thing, what kind of feeling does it give you to hear your arrangements in front of a live audience like that? It might be a little different feeling closer to having finished the arrangement than it is later on but it's it's very gratifying i mean you know the players were so great what what even made it i think more satisfying was just knowing how off the cuff all of that was trey didn't even have a, a director or a producer whatever the right term would be you know for the show i mean he didn't have somebody watching and listening when they were running stuff dress rehearsal to know how things were working i mean that was all on the fly that's that's what's mind-boggling one of the things that's mind-boggling to me about it just how well it came off and how how little monitoring they were doing at the time i mean it was just amazing it has a real special uh, special place in my memory and I'm so glad i had a chance to be involved with it I, I missed week one like i said but then it seemed like they couldn't bear to leave the strings out any week after that so did did you think don that rock music would translate so well to the orchestral world and i guess it's not always rock music right that's kind of the beauty of fish uh, because there's so many different types of music that that trey's able to write you can't like pigeonhole it into oh yeah that's definitely classic rock or that's definitely new wave but did you think that this type of music would be so good in an orchestral setting like like i mentioned earlier i think just having great musical lines and and and, and things to grab onto that are already there that are, are you know well for for one thing they're recognizable by all the fans and two they're interesting musically you know so i mean you know what more could i ask <laughs> it's really it's really fun like lizards was th that way I, oh, gosh i'm trying to think of some others that were Gaiuti's always fun yeah i mean that that's fun i'll tell you also when i I think it was after we did uh, four symphonic sh um, shows in 2012. We did Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Denver, and L.A. And after Pittsburgh, somebody wrote me and said, this is what Divided Skies should be, you know, is the string arrangement. It's like, well, yeah, that's, that's their opinion. and you know, But it's, it's nice to hear that the fan base understands what we're doing at least you know and appreciates it it's sort of a camaraderie at that point if they understand it you know and i really appreciate that a lot <laughs> lastly i just want to end with any advice that you have for for young creators out there whether it's in in music or art or sports or, or really anything something that you've taken away from all your experience work, work at your craft and and and, and follow your gut i really uh, admire folks that have something to say, and I'm, I'm not sure that I always, I always do. I mean, I I try to, I guess, at times. But uh, there's some people that are really good at that, and they're so convicted about something, and just and and really want to to say something. Don, thank you so much for the time. This was a really a pleasure. Much appreciated. 
Oh, you're certainly welcome. Creative License is created, hosted, podcasted, podcasted, obviously. Let's try that again. Creative License is created, hosted, produced, and edited by Alex Perlman with inspiration and guidance from Hannah Rosenthal. Graphic design by Carrie Lindgren. Our thanks once again to Don Hart for lending his insight and experiences this week. Follow Don on Twitter at H-A-R-T-M-U-S. You can find Creative License on Twitter at CLPod and follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at A.R. Perlman. Shoot me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.